Good afternoon, church. What a joy to be together today. Man, there are a lot of things going on in the world, going on in our lives, going on in our hearts that could take us to a whole lot of places. But by the sovereign grace of God, we're right here right now. What a gift. Let's be here. Let's hear from Him. If you're watching online, welcome. We're glad you guys are here. If you're watching this later, you missed it. I'm just kidding. We're glad you're watching later. I want to get straight to it. We're continuing our series in Acts today, and I could not be more excited for this text. There are there's certain privileges to being the lead pastor, and one of them is that when we're preaching through books of the Bible, and I want to pick through the passages that I want to preach, I, I get to. This is one of the ones I wanted to preach. I set this aside. I'm stoked for this. Simple truth we're going to discuss today is that the reality that the it's it's the reality that the gospel of Jesus is good news for all people. For all people. No matter who you are, no matter what your life looks like right now, the gospel of Jesus is available for you right now. And and I want you to hear this because I know, like I've been around church world long enough that, that I know that as soon as I said that, some of you were like, oh, okay, this is like an evangelistic one, so it's not for me. But, but I want you to hear this. This is just as true for those of you who are in Christ as for those of you who are not yet in Christ. I cannot stress this enough. The gospel of Jesus is good news for all people, you included. You right now, beloved, Jesus is available to you right now. If you want him, you get him right now. What a gospel. What a God we serve. I'm like already at the ending. We're done. Let's go back to singing. No, we're we're in Acts chapter eight today. I'm just excited to celebrate the goodness of our God. Acts chapter eight. We're going to be picking up. The story of Philip, starting in verse 26 of the 8th chapter of uh, the book of Acts, we read this. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join the chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before its shears is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied to him. Who can describe his generation for his life was taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does this prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they had come up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away and the eunuch saw him no more. 
and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azados, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. In this, beloved, is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Father God, we ask that you would be our discipler this evening, that as we take a few minutes to reflect on this text, that, that you would be present, that you would speak, that you would illuminate your text. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would be our discipler, that you would teach us new things about your gospel, that you would remind us the teachings of Jesus that we've forgotten, that you would convict us of our sins, that you would do the ministry that Jesus described. Father, we need you for this, so we pray it in your name, Jesus. Amen. So let's get just straight to this, shall we? I don't want to I don't want to waste time. I couldn't come up with a clever introduction anyway. So we're just going to we're just going to go into it. I'd like to walk back through this story with kind of an eye to to us really putting ourselves in this narrative. There's there's several historical cultural notes notes I'll point out that I think will help us get there. But ultimately, I'm going to point out four kind of practices we see in the life of Philip and one just amazing truth about the spirit of God. And all of that I think is going to lead us to just a plain and simple invitation of the gospel for all our lives. We're going to end our time with some of Jesus's words in the gospel of Matthew in a time of prayer and reflection and communion. Sound good? Awesome. So what's specifically happening here? Remember, we're stepping into the middle of Philip's story, right? This guy was one of the Hellenistic men appointed to, to be the seven, right, by the apostles. These were the apostles in the church body appointed up these seven men full of the Holy Spirit to, to partner with the apostles, with the twelve in the ministry, specifically by doing what we would call kind of deacon work, doing this hands-on mercy ministry, caring for widows, literally serving and waiting tables, distributing benevolence, right? After the, after the martyrdom of Stephen, another one of the seven, the first great persecution of the church broke out and most believers were driven out of Jerusalem. Philip was one of the ones driven out and he made his way north out of Jerusalem into Samaria, an area that was really, what was kind of assumed to be hard for the gospel to break in because of the, just the broken relationship between the Samaritans and the Jews. But Philip had a really successful ministry there. He, he preached and the spirit worked through him to perform signs and miracles and open hearts to the gospel. And then pretty soon, a real gospel-believing Christian church was birthed in Samaria. What a, what a beautiful testimony to the power of Jesus that through this suffering, God brings forth something new, the church of Samaria. In the midst of his own loss, God uses Philip to preach the gospel to those who feel outside of God's grace. Come on, we could stop right there. But I want you to continue to reflect on this aspect of the story because Luke is not going to let us get away from this. Remember, Luke himself was a Gentile and was part of the church grafted in for, for whatever reason, although I think we can kind of see it. Luke has a unique passion for the outsider and for the marginalized in his writing. He, he focuses on the downtrodden more than any other New Testament writer. And it's this beautiful reminder of the outworking of the gospel in the real world that I think is important for us, that, that God is for the hurting, the marginalized, the lost, the forgotten, the broken. He's for them. 
It's just as important for us today as it was for Philip then. And we're going to see that as we continue through Acts. So our text picks up Philip's story after this. He's, God has, has sent him into Samaria. He's done this amazing ministry. It's just right at the beginning, the birth of this awesome new ministry. A church has been planted. Philip is there preaching the gospel. And you're, you're kind of ready for just like the roots to go in and the Samaritan church to explode, just like the Jerusalem church does. But instead, our story starts with God speaking to Philip and telling him to leave. Now, the text here says an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. I'm not going to dig into the specifics of this. If you're interested in angelology and those things, I can point you to cool resources. But the thing you need to know in this is that especially, especially in the New Testament, when you read about the angel of the Lord speaking to someone, you're supposed to read that as God speaking to someone. The angels speak the words of God and they speak them directly and they speak them exactly. So this is God speaking to Philip saying, hey, this is cool. Look at this awesome church in Samaria. Anyway, leave and, and go, to this, go to this road southwest of Jerusalem. I almost said southeast and I had to picture my Bible map in the back of my head. <laughs> I should have had a slide for this, but I'm terrible at putting together slides. If you, if you have Bible maps in the back of your Bible, you should, you should poke your head in and look at this because there is some interesting geography to what happens to poor Philip. He, he starts out in Jerusalem and because of the persecution, he leaves and heads north into Samaria and has this really beautiful, successful ministry. And then God calls him back south. And I want to point this out. He, God calls him not to a city, not to a people, not to a mission. He says, go stand on a road. That's insane. <laughs> go stand on a road. And this is the road that leads from Jerusalem to Gaza. It heads southwest out of Jerusalem. And it's mostly desert. It's actually not the kind of road you want to travel for two reasons. The first one is it's mostly desert wasteland and there's very little access to food and water. And the second one is no one likes to be there. So it was very rarely patrolled. So it was a great place for bandits and robbers to hide out. All that to say, this is the kind of road you don't travel unless you have to. But God tells Philip, they go hang out on this road. And immediately we see God's providence as Philip travels to this road and meets this Ethiopian court official. Now, we're told a few things about this man. He's a court official. He is Ethiopian. He's a eunuch. He's a treasurer. He's connected to Jewish worship in some way. Now, before we talk about anything else, I do have to mention this really quick. Uh, this guy isn't actually Ethiopian. And I know you're like, well, wait just a second. I literally just read the text. Uh, I get it. It's a strange thing, but stick with me just for a second. You have to know a couple of things about this to kind of make the connections and the dots will come together. So the modern nation of Ethiopia traces its history back to the ancient kingdom of Aksum. And by the way, what I'm sharing right now, you absolutely a million times over should go, go Google this and read about this because this North African faith tradition of Judaism into Christianity is one of the richest, most beautiful aspects of church history that no one ever talks about. And so you should go Google this and you should read about it. It's beautiful. It's powerful. But modern Ethiopia traces its roots back to the ancient kingdom of Aksum. And this kingdom did exist in the time of Acts. It existed during the time of our text. It was directly south of the kingdom of Cush, which was itself directly south 
of the kingdom of Egypt. However, Ethiopian, the word Ethiopian was literally just the Roman word for someone with extremely dark skin. Uh, Anyone who came from that region of the world in the Roman world would be considered Ethiopian because that was literally just the word that meant, oh, they have extremely dark skin. We know this court official was actually from the kingdom of Cush and not Oxum. And we know this because Candace was not a name, but was actually the official legal title of the queens and princesses of the Cushite kingdom in this point in history. So this man is a Cushite court official. By the way, as their history progressed, uh, the kingdom of Aksum and Cush actually connected together and became one kingdom. And there's, again, there's a ton of rich, beautiful history there. Some of the earliest, like deep theology and the earliest uh, Christian rulers happened in that kingdom. Just about the time, the third persecution that was ending of Christianity in the Roman Empire, uh, the Aksum kingdom had become an officially Christian kingdom. And there's a whole lot of cool history there. You You should Google it. Anyway, anyway, this man is a Cushite court official. By the way, oh, I was just about to repeat myself. Sorry, I jumped back in the wrong spot on my page. (laughs) Um, I I, I don't want to divert us too far there, but you should research that stuff. It's very interesting. Our guy here is Cushite court official who is also a eunuch. Uh, This means he had been uh, physically castrated as a prerequisite for serving in the royal court. Aside from being generally awkward and distasteful for us as modern Westerners to talk about that, this actually has some really strange cultural associations with it in this day. And so so kind of stick with me here for this for a minute. These court eunuchs were extremely common in this part of the world in this age. The simple truth of it was that kings needed people to run their kingdom and their finances, but they didn't want some guy to have an affair with one of their countless wives or concubines and end up with a competing claim to the throne out of their own, uh, their own palace. So most men who worked in these high-level court administrative positions were required to be castrated to have the position. These made these positions strangely unique in their various cultures. And the reason is because these men were extremely well-paid and extremely well-respected in their specific fields. But for obvious reasons, very few people actually wanted to do these jobs. Uh, Oftentimes, captured and enslaved aristocrats from conquered enemies were kind of conscripted into these sort of positions. The strange reality of the kind of the way it all balances out is that these court eunuchs were respected and wealthy and comfortable, but also strangely looked down upon. And by the way, Judaism was not exempt from this. By the time of our text, eunuchs were excluded from full participation in the Jewish faith. They could believe in the one true God, they could worship him, but they were not allowed to fully participate in the temple or synagogue worship with other men or other leaders in the community, regardless of their faith, regardless of their desire, regardless of their wealth, education, etc. They were barred from full participation in the temple worship. Now, this is apparently the state of our fellow in our text. He has made a long and treacherous journey to Jerusalem to worship. He's obviously wealthy. He has a personal copy of the book of Isaiah, which was unheard of in this time. He's well protected enough to travel this guard, this road, and apparently not be afraid of being robbed. He probably has a sizable entourage of guards and things like that. 
But what we know is this dude, on some level, was already engaging the Jewish faith, which, which, by the way, wouldn't have been all that strange because these two kingdoms of Aksum and Cush actually traced their own faith heritage back to the Queen of Sheba and to her visiting Jerusalem during the reign of King Solomon and some of the oldest established Jewish faith traditions and Christian faith traditions outside of Israel are from this part of the world. So this guy, this guy is already engaging on some level, not fully, right? Remember Luke's focus on the outsider, but he's already engaged. So anyway, the Spirit of God leaves Philip to travel down the same road as this guy. And I love this part. The Holy Spirit tells Philip to go up and meet the guy. I love that. Hey, go meet this guy. So Philip immediately obeys and runs up to the chariot. As he approaches, he can hear the man reading from the prophet Isaiah aloud. Now, he he didn't know this was going on. He didn't know this was why God sent him there. He's literally just taking steps forward in obedience. As he approaches the stranger, then it starts to click. And he hears this guy reading this text. And so Philip walks up and just asks, hey, do you know what that passage is actually about, that one you're reading? Because by the way, he was reading it aloud, which would have been kind of the norm in that day. And look at this guy's response. How could I possibly understand this unless someone teaches me? Now, I don't know if any of you have ever sat down and just read Isaiah. I don't know if you've hit that in your read the Bible in a year plan outside of like a Bible study or something. But if you have just sat down and read Isaiah, I'm guessing you know exactly what this guy's talking about. Isaiah is really hard to understand. Long, it's one of the longest, most dense books of the Bible. There's a lot going on. It's very beautiful and very confusing. Now, this man just happens to be reading from Isaiah 53. This is the text that Craig opened us up with today. And I'm guessing most of you have heard at least parts of this passage before. It's one of the clearest, most beautiful pictures of Jesus's sacrifice on our behalf in all of Scripture. Talk about a divine appointment that this is the text this guy's reading. But in this day and age of our text, this passage was actually hotly debated in Judaism. They genuinely argued about what this passage was actually about. Was was Isaiah prophesying his own brutal death? Was he talking about the king of Judea during his time? Was he talking about someone to come? One thing they all agreed on was that whoever this suffering servant was mentioned in this text, it couldn't possibly be the Messiah. Because the Messiah would come and conquer the enemies of God, not be killed by them. So this man seems at least aware of this controversy, and he basically asks, I mean, how do you know what's up with this passage? Maybe he heard people debating it when he was in Jerusalem, but he goes, how can you know what it's actually about? What an invitation. Talk about the Holy Spirit just teeing up the ball. And look at what Philip does with it. The text says, Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. If you're thinking through a verse in Acts to memorize while we're going through this book, that would be a good one to grab. Philip takes the invitation of this man and tells him exactly who this verse is about. And then he tells him the good news about Jesus. Can we just sit in that phrase for a moment? This is the literal meaning of the word gospel. Good news, beloved. Jesus is 
good news. He's good news. He suffered an unjust death and then he rose from the dead. The suffering servant is the Messiah. He conquered the enemies of God, but not by military strength, but by dying and resurrecting. He made a way for all peoples to be his people. He was torn down, he has torn down the dividing wall of separation, and he's called all peoples to life and repentance in him. This is good news. It's good news. And this man hearing it, this man in the chariot, this Ethiopian, he knows this is good news. He just spent time worshiping behind a dividing wall. He has lived his life knowing that he will never be fully included in the people of God. But he just found out the good news that because of Jesus, he can be included. Because of Jesus, a way has been made for him. Because of Jesus, he can have full life with God's people. His sins can be forgiven. He can be a part of God's kingdom. And his heart responds to the wonderful invitation of Jesus. They stop. There's water somehow in the middle of the desert road for some reason. They immediately baptize their new brother in Christ. And the story ends in this really wild way where the Spirit of God just kind of teleports Philip somewhere else. And then Acts just basically never talks about that. Paul didn't include that one in his list of spiritual gifts, but I keep praying for that one. <laughs> Teleportation. Philip is sent away to this city kind of northwest of where they are, up closer to the coast. And the interaction is over. The Ethiopian goes home rejoicing in the good news of Jesus. Jesus and Philip travels north along the coast, continuing to preach the same good news wherever he goes. I mean, what a story. What a story. I want to point out four quick truths about Philip. I'm going to go through these relatively quick because I want to get to the good stuff here. Four quick things I want us to think about as we look at the way Philip interacts with this guy. The first one is, part of Philip's overarching story, but it's this. Philip is actively suffering a trial right now. He's actively suffering in the midst of this story, but he is still faithful. I don't think we can overstate this for a context like ours in the Western world. Philip, Philip is a refugee who has been kicked out of his home because of religious persecution. He is a nomad because of Christ, and yet he is still totally faithful to his kingdom call. He is going wherever the Spirit takes him and preaching the gospel as he goes. He's not holed away somewhere waiting for the trial to end. Think about that. He's not, he's not creating a buffer between himself and his suffering. Rather, he is embracing it and seeking obedience and seeking the voice of the Spirit in the midst of his suffering. I don't feel like I have to say anything else about that. We've harped on this for the last couple of weeks, but we can't go past this without acknowledging the fact that this story all takes place in a time when Philip has lost everything. And yet look what God is doing in his life. Number two, Philip is both listening to and following the direction of the Spirit. I mean, what a cool aspect of the story. Philip has arranged his life around hearing from God and obeying his word. And we can point out and say truthfully, right? Like, well, what else does he have at this point? But, but, but there's, that's the whole point. 
Philip has wrapped his life around hearing from God and doing exactly what he says. I think this is worth our reflecting on for a moment. Acts just casually presents the fact that Philip hears the voice of the Spirit. It would be easy for us to dismiss this. This is a different time in church history. But guys, I would advise against that. And here's the reason why. What honestly sets Philip apart from you in redemptive history? What makes him so different than you? He wasn't an apostle. He wasn't an eyewitness of Jesus. He's just some guy who heard the gospel and got saved and lived his life attempting to do his best to serve the church and serve the community and love Jesus and participate in his kingdom. And guys, I know there's more to it than that, and I'd love to dig into those different things and age of the church and all that stuff if you're curious in it. But, but, but I want to encourage you not to, not to take the cop out to just go, that was Bible times, it was different, God did weird stuff like that. No, 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 no. Philip is just, just a brother in Christ, living in the age of the church, just like you are. Just like you are. He heard the gospel preached, and God saved him. And he plugged into his church, and he plugged into his gifting, and he served the best way he knew how. And when he faced his day-to-day like, circumstances, he did his best to seek after and obey Jesus. And that led to him getting teleported around. <laughs> so anyway, we're going to be doing a spiritual gifts class on teleportation starting next... I'm just kidding. <laughs> What's the Harry Potter word for it? Apparate. Is that it? Yes, I knew someone would know. He apparated right over to it. <laughs> I'm sorry. I would say for those of us who don't feel like we often hear from the Spirit, I think it would be worthwhile to consider this text for a moment. Because the plain fact is, Philip did. He did. He heard from God several times over the course of this text. I really think that many of us don't hear from the Spirit for no other reason than we don't expect to. We're not looking for his voice. So we fill ourselves, we fill our minds, we fill our lives with other noises. And we don't ask and we don't seek and we don't expect the Spirit to interact with us. And this is vital because because Philip doesn't just hear the Spirit, right? He's not just hearing voices. He obeys the Spirit. He, he, He hears him and he obeys. No reason, no explanation. Go here. Okay. Talk to that guy. Okay. Guys, if I, if I heard clearly from the Spirit tomorrow, if I woke up and got that kind of direction, I, I have to honestly question how I would engage it. Hey, go travel to this desert road. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, sure. There's a certain level to the way that Philip has, has bent his life around seeking God and hearing from God and obeying God that is worth us reflecting on, especially if we maybe feel like we don't hear from him. Number three, Philip was prepared to proclaim, present, and contextualize the gospel. I love this part. Philip didn't know why God was telling him to talk to that guy. He didn't prep for this. God said, go to this road. Okay. 
And then God said, go talk to that guy. He said, okay. And as he approached, he was like, oh, okay, I see where this thing's going. This guy's reading the Bible. As he approached, that, that was the amount of time he had to think about this. He approached this guy who was reading scripture and needed help and beloved, hear this, and Philip was able to give it. He didn't just give a vague gospel invitation. He knew the word of God and knew it well enough off the cuff that he went from Isaiah 53 through the whole biblical teaching in a way that helped this man contextually understand the good news of Jesus for him right then and right there. What a beautiful testimony to spiritual discipline. Philip was very obviously in the word of God. It had wormed its way into his heart so that when he needed it, He was able to speak it, the language of the Bible, to a man who needed the message of the Bible. Come on. Number four, Philip proclaimed the gospel everywhere he went. I love this. Everywhere the dude goes. In this story, the only consistent thing we see with Philip is that he shares the gospel everywhere. Jerusalem? Yeah, sure, share the gospel. Samaria? Yeah, sharing the gospel. Road to Gaza? Sharing the gospel. Azotus to Caesarea? Caesarea, sharing the gospel. Philip was in love with Jesus, and the gospel was such good news to him that even as he lost his home, even as he lost his home church, even as he was traveling the land as a nomad, he was still sharing how good of news Jesus actually was because the gospel never stops being good news. It never stops being good. Philip knew this. When the gospel is truly good news to you, you will share it. You know how I know that? Because people love to share good news. We do. We do it naturally. Introverts do that. When, when good things are going on, they overflow out of us. We, we get together with friends and family and strangers and coworkers, and we tell them the good stuff working and worming through our heart and our brain. When the gospel is good news to you, you will share it. In spite of everything going on, in spite of whatever your circumstances are, and beloved, in spite of everything going on, in spite of whatever your circumstances are, the gospel is good news. It is. Which wraps this all around. I love these four aspects of Philip, and I hope, I hope as we kind of talked through those that there, were, there was maybe some genuine conviction for us in our own lives, right? As we talk about what it means for us to pursue Christ as a church, as a family, I mean, we, we do want to follow Jesus like Philip does. We want to be the sort of people who, who stay faithful even when we're suffering and even when things hurt and even when we don't like our circumstances, we want to be the, the sort of people who, who hear from the Spirit of God and then just obey Him. We, we want to be the sort of believers who, who know the Bible inside and out and can help people navigate the truth of its teaching. We want to be the sort of believers who, who genuinely believe and experience the gospel with such good news that it pours out of us and we proclaim it wherever we go. And I really do hope that those ideas are challenging, convicting, and encouraging for all of us, Right? But ultimately, we got to stop before we end this text and remind ourselves 
that Philip is not the star of this show. And by the way, neither is the new convert. Neither is the Ethiopian. Both of them, both of them are beneficiaries of the grace and ministry of the Spirit of God. God is the one who set this ball. God is the one who convicted the hearts. God is the one who led Philip and led the Ethiopian, who convicted the Ethiopian to salvation and Philip to passionate maturity. He wrote and illuminated the scriptures. He set the appointment between them. He's the one who did this. This is a story about God, about his goodness, about his faithfulness. Beloved, this is why the gospel is good news for everyone all the time. Because God is so good. He's so good. He's good to everyone. I mean, look at this story. Look how good our God is. He offers grace, life, direction, purpose, passion to all peoples. Those who are on the inside and those who are on the outside, the believer and the non-believer. Our God is so good. And he's not only good. He's available. Did you see this? Our our, our God is is available. He's present. He's ready. Anyone who wants him can have him. It's an intense way to say it, but I want you to hear that. Everyone you meet, every person you interact with, talking about human beings made in the image of God, who he loves, who are precious to him, who he designed, who he, who he stamped his image in, who, who the scripture says it is his will that all of them would come to him. Whoever wants him can have him. Anyone can experience his love, his grace, his forgiveness, his life, his gifts, his person. Now right now, some of you are already going, well, actually, Pastor Sam, if you look at the doctrine of election, shh, stop. That's interesting. We can talk about it over coffee. But don't miss this. Don't theologize and, don't, and, and miss this. God is available. He's present. He's calling. He's right here in this text for Philip. And he's right here in this text for the Ethiopian. See, it's so easy to read this text, right, as like this amazing evangelism passage and look how God set up all these divine things and brought this guy from death to life, from, from, from lostness to salvation. And that's absolutely like an amazing thing in this text that we should celebrate. And a lot of us, if we think about our own testimonies, can point to all these amazing things that God set up the pieces just right to draw us from death to life. And that's beautiful and we should celebrate that. But, but it's also about how God is working and available to Philip. This mature believer who who the church in Jerusalem described as full of the Spirit and full of Jesus, who is now in the midst of suffering and loss, and God is still good to him. And the gospel is still good news to him. And God is still sustaining him and loving him and leading him. He's available to both of these people, which means he's available to you and to me. Right here, right now. Beloved, Jesus said this to his followers. Matthew. He said, come to me, everyone who labors and is heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. 
For I am gentle and I am lowly in heart. In me, you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Beloved, you are beloved. Jesus loves you, is calling you, and has life for you. Jesus is here for you, right here. I, w- I want to talk about two things, and we're going to end this thing because I want to I sit in this. And that's this. If you're in this place today and you've never submitted to Jesus for salvation, you've never actually come to him in, in deep confession and repentance, I want you to hear this. He is here for you. He's here for you. He's available to you. And you can have him. He's calling you. He desires good for you. He, is, he, has, an, he has an easy yoke, an easy burden. He, he would love to, to, to give you rest for your soul, to give you forgiveness for your sins, to give you life and to give you freedom. If you're here today, I don't care how long you've been involved in church. I don't care how long you've been connected to Red Tree or anything else and you haven't received that, you can have that. You can. Right now. You don't have to wait for that. Jesus loves you. He longs for you to have life and freedom in him. And at the same time as I say that, if you're in this room and you've known Jesus for days, months, years, decades, guess what? He's still here for you. And you can still have him. And the gospel is still good news right here and right now. I know that some of us in this room have known Christ a long time. And the realities of this cursed and broken world have had their way on us. And I know some of us have been beaten up and beaten down. And some of us come into a place like this with exhaustion or hurt or sorrow or doubts or wounds, all sorts of things. And it feels like an invitation like this is so beautiful for those who haven't yet accepted Christ. But this invitation is for you as well. Come to Jesus. Take on his yoke. It is easy. Take on his burden. It is light. He longs to give you rest for your souls. He longs to give you freedom from your burdens. He longs that that you might walk in freedom from sin. Those those nagging sins that you thought would would like pick up and go away when you pursued life in him or pursued marriage or pursued this career or grew up or whatever, and they just didn't. Christ longs to meet you in that. Those wounds and those broken relationships that have stuck with you for years or months or whatever, Christ longs to meet you in that. Those sorrows, those doubts that seem like they just go down to your very bones, your Jesus longs to meet you in that, beloved. There is nothing that you can't bring to him because he loves you and he is good and he is present. You can lay down your burdens right at his feet. 
whether you have never submitted to him before this moment or you have known him your entire life, you can come to Jesus afresh right now. Because the gospel of Jesus is good news. And it's good news for all of us. I'm going to ask the band to come up here. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a few minutes and I would love for you guys to just do what you need to do to meet with Jesus for a couple minutes. I say this every week and so it's easy to like kind of zone right now and like think about what's next. But I want you to hear me in this. I want you to find some space right now to meet with Jesus. If you can do that in your seat, that's awesome. If you want to get down on your knees, you're welcome to do that. If you need someone to pray with you, I'm going to ask Pastor Craig and Pastor Jesse to be in the back of the room. They would love to pray with you. If you're in this space and God is doing something on your heart and there is something weighing on you and you just, you just need a brother in Christ to be with you to bring it to Jesus, please grab Pastor Craig or Pastor Jesse. Just sit with them for a minute and pray. It's cool. We can be sad together. We can be weepy together because Jesus is good. Whatever it is that's on your heart today, I want to I just give us a few minutes to choose to be with Jesus. To be honest about the burdens of our heart. Honest about the needs of our heart. And if you're in this space and you just, you know it, like you know it right now, like the Spirit's tugging at you and you know like now is the time for you to actually come to Him in repentance and do it. We'd love to be in that with you. But just take a few minutes. I'm going to lead us in prayer. We're going to sit here in silence. Well, I mean silence. The band's playing, but you get what I'm saying. We're going to sit here and just let the Spirit work on our hearts. And when, 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 when it's been long enough, I'll come back up and pray for us, and then we'll sing another song and take communion. Sound good? All right, church, pray with me. God, you're really good. God, you are really good. You're really good to us even when we're hurting. Even when circumstances don't line up the way we want. Even when we have doubts deep in our core. Even when we're shaken. You never stop being good. God, I confess to you that I have forgotten that truth so often. And I have taken the good news and passed it off as something for new believers and people who are just meeting you. But you declare your gospel over me daily. Your love for me, the the identity, the place you've bought for me. You proclaim that over me continually. Thank you, Jesus. God, whatever it is that's tripping us up today, I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would not let us get out of this space tonight without just being pricked in our hearts by what what it is you're doing, what you're saying. We want to hear from you, Jesus. We want to respond to you honestly. Beloved, take a few minutes to be with Christ. Remember, Pastor Craig and Pastor Jesse are in the back if you need someone to pray with you. Take a few minutes and be with Jesus.